The following audio is presented by Grace Church. For more about us, visit discovergrace.com, or you can download our free app by searching Grace Church Orlando on your phone or tablet. Now, we hope you enjoy the message. Awesome. Hey, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> good to see y'all. Hey, I'm, I'm really excited to be back. I was at the Orlando campus last weekend preaching, and so we're in our third week of our series, House Rules. And so we're going to recap this morning, first two weeks, but I'm going to make y'all recap. And so if you know the first house rule, go ahead and shout it out. Anybody? What is it? Grace-centered truth. Okay, anybody know the tagline under it? I'm making y'all work. Anybody? We challenge people to be their best and love them at their worst. Very good. All right. This is just last week. All right, here we go. House rule number two, what do we got? Biblical maturity, all right. Tagline under it. Stephen Ray, you better know this. I got it. All right, come on. (laughs) Some of us don't trust him. Anybody, tagline. You can read on the back of your lantern. Right? We teach through the Bible verse by verse because it's the best way to know the Bible. Why? Because the knowing the Bible is the best way to know Jesus, right? So as we fix our eyes around the scriptures, because all scripture points to Christ, it literally transforms our lives because we encounter Jesus in the scriptures, right? Biblical maturity. And so uh, as we're about to jump into our third house rule, I just want to make a shout out to all you dads. Happy Father's Day. So let's give a little clap for the fathers. So it's crazy when, uh, when we first had our, our first child in Louisville, Kentucky, they did this incredible thing in the hospital. So we, Gene had the baby. I was about to say we had the baby. That's not accurate. I don't know why I always say that. But um, anyways, Gene had the baby. And what happened is, is after she nursed the baby, the nurses would take the baby away. And we were like, oh my gosh, like this is kind of nice, right? And so then the nurse would bring the baby back, Gene would nurse, and then they would take the baby back again. And we're like, man, parenting is easy, right? I mean, we were up like watching TV, eating food, everything was glorious. And we're like, why do parents complain so much, right? And so I don't know if you've seen this meme before, but that's the way I felt driving out of the hospital, right? I mean, just style, like, man, everything's great, and then a year passes, and it's like, oh, my gosh, right? I mean, parenting is tough. Why is parenting so hard? Think about it. Why is parenting so hard? The number one thing that every parent says is what? It's because they've never given to one individual so much in their lives. They've never had to serve so much in their lives in that way before. Now, I'm not saying that only parents understand this. There's other circumstances. But the point is, it's difficult. It takes a lot to serve and to consider someone as that important in your life to where you're, it's costing you something, right? And so this morning, we're going to be talking about extraordinary servanthood. It's our third house rule. We serve sacrificially, giving up things we love for the people we love even more. You don't have to just look within parenthood. You see examples of extraordinary servanthood with your parents, with friends, with coworkers, with the body of Christ, those that you serve, brothers and sisters in Jesus, right? So let's turn to our Bibles in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
If you got your phone, you can pull that up. But that's where we're headed. We're going to be in chapters 12 and 13. And so as you turn there, I'm going to give you a small amount of context because we've given so much context the last two weeks. So here's the little bit of context. Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians, right? And in this chapter, in this entire section, he's actually talking about spiritual gifts. And he's talking about how we use our gifts and how we use them and what about them and what's the manner and the motive and all of that surrounded around it. Because, you see, in the Corinthian church, there was this thing where they thought some gifts were greater than others. So people who had those gifts, they highly esteemed those people, and then they devalued other people below or who didn't have gifts like that. And so that's the context. That's where we're headed. Chapter 12, verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's awesome. So if you're a believer in here, listen to this. You are uniquely gifted by God. That's you. Every one of you. It's easy to think, man, I don't have a gift or God hasn't given me. It says to each. That means everyone who's in Christ is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You have an ability to bless your brothers and sisters in Christ. The context is the church, the local church. And he's saying God has given you gifts to serve the body uniquely. Then he says, verse 18, we're going to work through chapter 12 and get to chapter 13. Verse 18, it says, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. It's interesting. He's saying the Holy Spirit has given you a specific gift for your specific surrounding and your specific calling within the church. In other words, it's not by accident you're here. It's not by accident that you're at grace. It's not by accident that you're surrounded around people that you are. God has called you and wants to use your gifts to serve the body of Christ. It's arranged as he wants. Verse 21 and 22, you're going to see that the weaker, those who aren't, don't have the flashy gifts or the gifts on stage or whatever that looks like in every context, that the weaker are indispensable. Look at it, verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. In other words, we need you. It doesn't matter if you can't preach on stage. It doesn't matter if you can't play guitar. It doesn't matter if you can't be up front and center. We need you. It's the people who are behind the scenes that we need, it says, the most. They're indispensable. Everything we do here and everything we do in GK, we have people serving behind the scenes so that we can do what we do on a Sunday. All right? Pastor Grant from the Winter Garden campus, he actually took an informal poll of a few people and said, hey, why do you think you or other people don't serve in the local church? And they said that there's two that were the top. The first one was, is they said, we don't have anything to offer. Like, I I just don't have anything to offer. I'm not like this person or that person. And I really just don't have anything to give. I'm kind of tapped out in my life. Family life is busy. And so I don't really have anything to offer. And this verse is saying the complete opposite. That you are indispensable. You. We need you. I want to ask you, have you believed the lie that you're dispensable or non-essential? 
that the church doesn't need you. We need you to serve at grace, not because we need people, but because we need you. Because there's no one like you here. And God placed you here. And God has work here for you to do. I'm making this personal because it's to all believers. God's calling all of us to come alongside one another and serve. Look at this though. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. And then notice, for the common good. We need you. He says in verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. There's a, there's a movie that came out in 2008. Daniel Craig was the star of the movie Defiance. And it was about the, I can't ever say this name right, the Bilshik, Belsky brothers. They were Belarusian Jews who fled in the forest from Nazis during World War II. And there was this crazy story. They rescued and recruited Jews into the forest and built a secret community. You know what they did? They considered others as more important than themselves as a community. So what they did is they shared meals. They rationed foods. They went out and hunt, and then they would come back. And some would go to dangerous areas, and some to safe, and they would switch out. They served one another. They had this common good mentality. So much so that the film shows one year that they were there for one year. They were actually there for four years serving one another, caring for one another, considering the community is more important than themselves. And they are one of the few, if not only, communities that survived during this time because they were together. They're in it together. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We need people to have a team mentality at Grace. We have a mission to help people take their next step towards Christ. Sunday morning is a huge part of this. I mean, our ops team, they come in, they set up, and they tear down, right? They come early in the morning, they get it all together, and why? So that this place is welcoming. So that when somebody's visiting, they go, oh, it's not just a cafetorium, right? The sound's actually better. They help all the acoustics. They do all of this stuff. And then what do they do? They go to the kids' area. They set up our kids' room so that people don't show them and go, man, it's a classroom at a school. Cool. No, they say, hey, we're going to invest in families. We're going to consider others as more important than ourselves. It's going to be welcoming and, and safe for our kids to be here. Why? Because we love them. Because we want to serve the body of Christ. You see the picture? Considering others is more important than ourselves. And here's the deal. If, if one area is struggling, we say, hey, as a team, what can we do to serve? If one area is falling through the hoops and we need more volunteers or we need whatever, it's saying, hey, we'll come together and do this for the common good of others. So I want to ask you, and really I want you to ask yourself this, how do I find my place? So spiritual gift tests, I've taken a ton of them. They're usually pretty accurate. You know what I think the best way to find out what your spiritual gift is? Jump in and serve. Guess what? God has uniquely called you and uses you in a specific way. It's going to become evident wherever you serve. It's going to become known. And so I, that's what I did. That's what I've done all my Christian life. I've just said, okay, I'm going to jump in over here. We'll see what happens. We'll see what God does. And then God has specifically moved me all throughout my life and said, okay, I'm, I'm doing this. I want to move here. I want to move there. And it's the same with the body of Christ. Jump in and serve. Don't, don't try and figure it all out and wait forever and go, I don't have anything to offer. No, jump in. 
And so one way to do that is we have a slide. It's discovergrace.com slash serve. We've got iPads in the back. If you aren't serving here at Grace and you want to, we would love for you to sign up back there. Another opportunity for you to, to get to serve is we've got three membership classes and you can come and our second week, I believe it is, Discover Purpose. You can, you can listen and observe about how and where can I serve at Grace. That starts July 21st. So jump in and serve if you aren't. Okay, so some common misconceptions about serving at Grace Oviedo. First one, men serve in ops, women serve in Grace Kids. That's a common misconception. A lot of, a lot of ladies go, well, can I really serve in ops? There's a teardown team afterwards. We have tons of women who fold drapes and do all kinds of stuff, help move things. You don't have to be a man to serve in ops. You don't. Women serving Grace Kids. He's not in here, but Don Stewart is like a legend in Grace Kids. I mean, he's got like a cult following. My daughter comes home and she's like, hey, Dad, can I hang out with him and not you? Right? I mean, he, he could start and plant his own church. It might be all like first graders and 5Kers, but man, they would be damn up, right? You don't have to be a woman to serve in Grace Kids. As a matter of fact, I would say, men, we need men in those classrooms. Why? Because we want to present the gospel. We want to present leading and teaching and discipling our kids through men. We do. It's important. It's huge. And so we have lots and lots of men who serve in Grace Kids. Second common misconception, you have to serve every single week. It's like we sign you up and then your life is over, right? Like, oh my gosh, every week, can't ever stop. No, 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 you don't have to serve every week. As a matter of fact, if we had a team mentality and everybody jumped in, guess what? Everybody would have to serve a little less because we'd have so many serving. We're saying, hey, I'm gonna suffer with you. I'm gonna serve with you. I'm gonna give too, right? I shouldn't have said suffer, I know, I get that. I get it, I get it. <laughs> Slipped, right? So anyways, you get the idea, you don't have to serve every week. Jump in and serve. That way people can rest because we're saying, hey, this is a body, common good mentality. It's huge. Next one. You have to be a Christian to serve. That's a common misconception. If you're here and you're visiting, this is your first week, third week, you've been here for three months, doesn't matter, and you're not a follower of Christ, you can serve at Grace. Now what that means is, is that we don't give opportunities for people who don't know Jesus to teach about Jesus, right? I mean, that makes sense, even if you're here and not a follower of Jesus. But other areas, there's so many other areas where you can serve. So sign up to serve. Join this team, join this mission, and you're going to be amazed. Next one. There are only service opportunities on Sunday mornings. It's not true. We've got a thing called dinner parties. Deb Wabi, as a matter of fact, I went to her house this a couple weeks ago, ate dinner there, and while we were there, she was like, man, I just love to cook. She started pulling out all these books, and I was like, oh my gosh, like, she's, I couldn't even read the books. I was just like, what is going on? And then she pulled out the meal. Oh my gosh, it was amazing. And she was like, yeah, you know, handmade the noodles and did all this stuff, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. She said, I want to use this gift for the body for the common good. I've got this gift of hospitality and I want to use it. And so we've got this thing called dinner parties that you can serve at. It's where we invite people and say, hey, do you want to get to know our community? And so you sign up and somebody hosts it and then you invite those people and they come and they eat a meal and have great community time. Another one is GCs, our Grace Communities. You can either be a leader and teach and, and lead a small group or you could host 
the GC, one week, all weeks, doesn't matter, but there's different opportunities within your Grace community where you can serve. There's a lady, Lisa Bocchino, goes every week to Orlando to help stuff and box and plan scheduling and do all of this stuff. She goes and serves outside of Sunday. There's multiple opportunities. There's, there's opportunities for us to serve our community. We're lining up with Bithlow and helping out the kids and serving them. And there's, there's tons of opportunities for you to serve here at Grace. And so the last one is actually the biggest one. Everything's going well. So we don't need any volunteers, right? I mean, we're growing. Things are awesome. All the stuff's taking place. They don't need my help. You show up on a Sunday and you're like, they don't need my help, right? I mean, everything's done. Everything looks great, right? Pastor Grant, he said the number one and with the other one is this one. It's that they don't need my help. Everything looks great. Everything's awesome. So they don't need me. We need you. Specifically at our campus, we've grown 44% in the last year. You know what that means? It means growth. And you know what that means? It means that we need more help, right? Think about that, 44%. 30% of our population at Grace is kids and students. That's incredible. It means that we have this opportunity to serve those around us, right? We have this opportunity to, to love on these families who are coming in and, and care for them and see them and love them. But not only that, not only do we have growing pains. I mean, if you're a small business owner or a large business owner, somebody will come to you and be like, man, growth is up. You must be killing it. And you're thinking, yeah, things are great, but we've got growing pains. We need to alter this. We need to adapt this. We need to grow this. And it's the same thing at Grace. We need you. But not only that, also our serving opportunities expand. For example, we want a parking team. We want people who are greeting people as they come in, right? We want an awesome student ministry, right? And so we need people to jump in and serve in those areas. We need all kinds of opportunities as we grow and as we shape. We need people stepping up and saying, I'm in it with the team. We want to help people take their next step towards Jesus. We want to see more people get baptized. We want to see more people come and believe in Jesus and grow in their faith and mature in their faith. We need you to be serving, right? We need you. So check this out. As we go through this, it, all of a sudden it comes to this transition point in chapter 12. It's the last verse, verse 31. And he says this, I will show you a still more excellent way. In other words, he says, hey, listen, you see all these gifts. They're used for the common good of the people within the local body. But there's something better than this. It's not just serving that's important. What, what is that? It's the thing that makes our servanthood extraordinary. Check it out. Turn to chapter 13 and look at it. He said, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. Notice he's highlighting one of the gifts that the Corinthians say, man, this is a big deal. People who are speaking in tongues, people who have this incredible ability to speak from God, I want to be like them. They're all thinking that. And he's saying, hey, listen, there's a better way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, because there's not a lot of tongue speaking here, let me, let me make it cultural. Whatever your view is, just hear me out in the point. So picture this idea of someone gets up on stage and they say something that they felt like came from God and they're like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. It would be like somebody who stood on stage, 
who had the, the abilities of Matt Chandler, the content of John Piper, and the fervency of like a Stephen Furtick or somebody like that, and they're standing up and they start speaking. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. That's the picture here. He's saying, if I have the tongues of men and of angels, I don't even know what that means, just to be honest, but the idea is that it's extraordinary. Oh my gosh, did you hear what he just said? That was amazing. But then notice what he does. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a, or a clanging cymbal. In other words, that gifting, everything about it, it's a disruption of what the Spirit of God is doing in the moment. They can stand up and they can do all this incredible stuff and everybody goes, wow, and it's not God's movement. Why? Because it doesn't have love. He's saying there's a more excellent way. There's something that makes your service and serving extraordinary. Verse two, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains. He's, he's picking up on that thing again. The Corinthians thought prophecy. Oh man, it's the gift to have, right? I mean, I was at a leadership retreat. This is years ago when I was a part of a leadership of a church. This guy came in who had the gift of prophecy. We all sat down in a circle behind some tables and he literally went over and prayed over every one of us. And you know what? Everything that he said about me was completely accurate up to this day. Everything that he said. He prayed over another woman who was having a baby that nobody knew about. She was like six weeks pregnant. He said it over her and talked about the baby. And we were all just sitting there going like, it's like just amazed by this guy, right? So much so that I was sitting there listening to him do it on every person. I was going, do I even know Jesus, right? That's the picture here. He's saying if you have all the prophetic powers, all wisdom, all knowledge, and you go, man, that's extraordinary, right? Right? Then what does he say? He says, understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith, it would be like somebody coming up on stage right now and me saying, hey, guy in the fifth row back there, it's going to be okay. Hey, you over here, ma'am, sa he said yes, right? I mean, it's that picture of like you're sitting there going, how is this person doing this? That's extraordinary, right? If I have all the faith, so I went on a leadership retreat this past week, and there's this big mountain and a huge lake. If I had the faith to say, hey, mountain, go into the lake, everybody would be like, that's extraordinary, right? But then what does he say? He says, if I have all this, but have not love, I'm nothing. Wow. Verse 3, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. We admire, admire generosity, right? I mean, if you meet the person who's like, I mean, I know there's not anybody like this, but the person who's like this, they go, oh man, you know, none of these are my clothes. I've given them all away. I borrow from other people. I've literally given everything in my life away because I am that person. I'm very generous. Or it's that person who ones up everybody in the suffering department. Oh, you think you got it bad? Have you heard my story? Have you heard my life? Have you heard my last day? Have you heard my last month, my last week, my last everything? That person who one-ups everybody in suffering, it's basically a martyr mentality. But to do it, they do it from guilt, right? Because that is what you do. It's this mentality. This type of service is usually done to meet a need. Either a savior complex or a longing for affirmation. But when you meet them and you see what they do, you go, wow, 
Like, look at how they, how they do this. Look at what they give. Look at how much they offer. And you're going, man, this is extraordinary, right? This is incredible, right? And all these things were extraordinary in the eyes of the Corinthians and ours today as well, right? Usually people who serve in this way, they burn out. They do. It becomes a mentality of why isn't everybody else serving the way I'm serving? Bitterness creeps in, and then you start looking around, and it becomes this other, like, I, I don't like you, I'm angry at you, why aren't you serving like me mentality, right? And so it builds up, and you quit. I want to ask you a question. Do you find yourself thinking you serve more than everyone else and look down on those around you because of it? He's saying, this without love means nothing. It doesn't gain anything. He says in verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. You see, love is what makes our servanthood extraordinary. That's what makes it special. That's what makes it incredible. So we're going to unpack the rest of this message on what this type of love in service looks like, how it's extraordinary. So look at verse four. Love is patient and kind, Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It, doesn't in, it does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. You'd normally hear this passage at a wedding ceremony. The real context, and I'm not hating on pastors who do that or wedding people who want to use this. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying the context, the specific context is using spiritual gifts and serving the body of Christ, that you do it in love. That's the picture here. So three observations about love because we need to apply this to our lives, right? Because love is oftentimes this like ethereal thing that romance, like rom-com movies, movies have, right? You just show up and then all of a sudden your heart just goes and you love everybody and love everything in life, right? I mean, that's the picture. But love isn't that. Love is a considerate, costly choice. So we're going to unpack that. The first one, love is considerate. Patience, look at the verse. Patience is about others. Kindness is about others. Humility is about others. It's for what? The common good. Usually our first thought is, what do I need? But it's really, what do they need? Right? Instead of asking, what's my solution? Ask, am I someone's solution? Are you being considerate when it comes to serving others? Number two, love is costly. It doesn't insist on its own way. Think about that. Love always costs. It's not a love if it's not costly, generally speaking. Think about Roman, I mean, uh, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that what did he do? He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What's the price our love is willing, what is the price our love is willing to pay when we serve others? Think about that. Jesus sets the pace. He sets the standard. It's our lives. Think about that. It's our lives. And you may think, man, like, that's a little dramatic, right? I mean, I would die for you. That may be true, but it also means this. I would be uncomfortable for you. I would lose things that I want for you, 
right? I would put my dream on hold for you. This biblical mentality, right? Man, I got a good example. So we were setting up every week and we needed more space in our trailer at Grace. And we only had one trailer. And Ron was talking to me. He's like, hey, we need another one. I was like, all right, well, let's make it happen. Two weeks pass. Ron gives me a call and he's like, Hey, uh, so I'm at the school right now, and I've got all this crushed concrete. I'm about to frame it out. We're about to throw a trailer right here. And he's just doing it. And I was like, hey, man, you need some help, you know? And he's like, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. So I called Mike Herringshaw. Mike's like, I'm in. He shows up eight and a half hours later. They've built out our ramp. We put a new trailer in so that what? So that we can put the rest of our stuff so that things can go better as the body of Christ. It costs something. It costs them their Saturday. It costs planning. It costs all of those things. Why? Because he loves the people, right? Because we love others, right? Will you serve only if it's comfortable? Think about that. Last one, love is a choice. Serving is a choice, not a feeling. Love songs are mostly connected to our affections, but our emotions are fickle and often all over the place, right? And so we are asked to serve or challenged to serve or whatever, and we say everything in our body says, no, 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 I don't want to do that. I don't feel good about that. I don't really like it. It's not really my thing. And everything in your body is saying, no, don't do this. But it's a choice. It's a considerate, costly choice, all right? I mean, when Gene and I got together, I'll give you a good example. Man, it was like this romantic, dating, courting thing, you know, and it was wonderful. She's a four Enneagram, so she loved our dating season. We got married, a couple years passed, and all of a sudden things were really hard, and we were going like, man, what are we doing? This is so hard, like, oh my gosh, right? But when we had our kid, it was, tell me if you can relate to this. Things were getting hard. We had a baby, and then what happens? It's 3 a.m. in the morning. The baby starts screaming, and I'm rolling over like I don't hear it. You ever play that game? You know what I'm talking about, where you're like, I don't hear that, and then it's like to wait to see who gets up first, right? And you feel bad, but you're also like, oh, my gosh, I need sleep, you know? Like, that's the picture. It's a choice where I go, no, 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 I need to get up, serve my wife, serve my kid, and, and rock that baby, or do whatever's necessary. It's a choice right? Love is making the choice when we don't feel like it. When was the last time you made the choice to serve someone in the body when you didn't feel like it? What makes our service extraordinary is that it's a considerate, costly choice. And so that's your next step this morning. Your next step is, is to pray and say, God, how can I be considerate? How can I do something that will cost me something and how can I make, and where can I make a choice to serve? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and how you challenge us, and God, we, we recognize, Jesus, that you ultimately served us by dying on a cross, by giving your life for us, and offering us salvation and forgiveness, and so out of that service, out of that love, out of that grace that we receive from you, would you help us to say, God, I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to serve you however you want. God, would you help us as a body to serve the people of God for the common good, using our talents and our gifts for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.